Right, I'm going to continue to talk about the life of Jesus, and I'm going to read a small sentence at the end of a long story in Matthew uh, chapter 13 and Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 9 and John chapter 6. All of those four Gospels tell about a day in Jesus' life. It starts off when he hears about his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded, and he says, let me go to a quiet place to mourn and to pray and to get the Lord's strength. And then he gets there, and there's thousands of people, and he heals them and prays for them and teaches them. And then they're hungry, so he feeds them miraculously. And then he sends the disciples off on a boat to the other side, and the wind is against them, and it takes them nine hours, and they're still in the middle of the lake, and it's four in the morning, it's dark, and it's windy, and they're struggling, and Jesus comes walking on the water past them. The Bible says he was planning to go past them. He wasn't even planning to stop. He just trusted they had faith, but they didn't have faith, and they said, oh, it's a ghost, and he said, don't worry, it's me, and Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come. And Jesus just says one word, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks, and then he sinks. Jesus picks him up, and Jesus gets into the boat, and the wind is stilled, and they get to the other side of the lake quickly. And right at the end of that story, which is a a 24-hour day period, there's a little sentence, which is amazing. Mark 6, 51 and 52. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and marveled. Would you be? Would you be greatly amazed in yourself, beyond measure, and marveled? The disciples were like, wow, this is amazing. He's walking on water. He's stilling the wind. Wow, they're just blown away. But then the Bible says something amazing. It says that the fact that they were amazed was not a good thing. Listen to the very next verse. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Wow. The Bible does this to us sometimes. It leads us along a path and we're tracking. Yes, they were greatly amazed. They marveled amazing. And then it says, oh, but their hearts were hard. In other words... I think I would be like them. I would be marveling and amazed at at this scene and this miracle. But then it says they shouldn't have been amazed. They shouldn't have been marveling. The problem was their heart was hard. What is this thing called hard heart? Do you know? I'm going to try and explain it to us today. And I'm going to use the story, the whole 24-hour story, but I'm going to try and explain to us. My aim today is for you and I to be able to understand what is a hard heart. Sclerocardia is the Greek word that's translated hard heart in the Bible. It sounds like a, a medical term. It sounds like a disease. Oh, I've got this and this and this and sclerocardia. What's that? Well, hardening of the heart. What is it? I'm going to try and explain it. And I really trust that the Lord's word would be like a hammer and like wind and like water and like rain and like a seed. It would change us today. Amen? Are you open for that? Praise the Lord. Thank you. Hard-heartedness. The Bible. Let me start by giving you a bit of context. How many senses do you think humans have? The, the, The world tells us we have five senses. Sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. But actually, 
The Bible says we have more. I believe we have at least seven senses. What? Greg, what are you talking about? There's the five, the normal senses. We sense the world around us using the, the, the perceptive organs that we have in our body. Then there's our mind or our logic. And I'm going to prove this to you. If I said to you, I'm going to tell you three sets of numbers. And, and the first set is one, one, two. Got it. The second set is two, two, four. The third set is three, three, six. How did you know I was going to say six? It's a sense we have called our logic or our brain or our mental ability. We can work things out. We can sense the world around us using our brain. And it's a sixth sense. And we all have it. But there's a seventh sense. Did you know that? The Bible calls it faith or heart perception. Mm, not so sure about this, Greg. Not so sure about this. Let me prove it to you. Ephesians 1 verse 18, Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Huh, so my heart can see? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, So we fix our eyes on what is unseen, not on what is seen. What? For what is unseen is eternal, what is seen is temporary. So I, can, I have eyes that can see things that are invisible? Yes, it's your heart eyes. You have a heart sense called faith. And hard-heartedness simply means my heart eyes are not seeing very well. You know, if you... Don't use one of your five senses. It starts to atrophy and it doesn't work so well. If you put a patch over one of your eyes and you leave it there, I don't know, how long? Tony, how long would you need to leave it before your eyes stop working very well? Oh, really? Just a few days. If you just stopped your eye from seeing for a few days, it would stop working properly. God has given every human being an ability in our hearts to see the spiritual world, the unseen world. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, as Christians, we're supposed to walk by this heart sense called faith, where I can perceive the spiritual world. You say, Greg, what is the spiritual world you're talking about? The Bible says there's an invisible realm all around us. And it's called the spiritual realm. You know, in this room, there's TV waves and radio waves going through the air all the time. We can't see them unless you get a TV with an aerial, you plug it in, you turn it on, and suddenly the TV aerial picks up the waves and we see a picture and sound, and we've perceived something that was invisible. That's what faith is like. The Bible says there's an invisible realm all around us. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And his train filled the temple. And there were angels all around him. And they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah had his spiritual eyes opened for a few minutes. His heart eyes were opened. And he saw the spiritual realm, the angels and the glory of the Lord filling the whole earth. But after that, he went back to just using these eyes again. But people of faith continue 
to sense and perceive the spiritual. It's as simple as that. You know, we make faith out to be this complicated, difficult thing to understand. And, oh, faith, theological, wow, wow. It's not complicated. You have a sense in your heart called faith that God has put in every one of us that allows us to sense the spiritual world around us. Most of the time we get an understanding from the Word of God, but then the Word of God becomes the voice of God. I read the words on a page and suddenly I hear in my spirit God speaking and I start to see the spiritual. That's faith. Is that starting to make sense to you? You have seven senses. Now, if you put a patch over your eye and it stopped working, what happens if you stop listening to the spirit, to the, to the, the voice of your heart? What happens? It starts to get hardened. Are you seeing what hard heart is? Not difficult to understand. And yet we've made it difficult. We've made it weird and complicated and think, oh, I can't understand faith. Oh, it's simple. You've got seven senses. Exercise them all. But faith is the most important of them. <laughs> you know, if you, have you seen those um, tricks that you sometimes get where you see something? It's an optical illusion. You see a person saying, saying, buh, buh, buh. But they're actually saying, vuh, vuh, vuh. And because your eyes see them going, buh, even though your ears are telling you something, your eyes override and you say, ah, oh, I think they're saying something different. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's the same with faith. We can choose to allow our physical senses to dominate or we can choose to allow our heart faith sense to dominate. And the disciples chose not to exercise their heart muscle, their, their eyes and their heart. And it says their hearts were hard. They hadn't understood about the loaves. And that's why they marveled and they were amazed. Friends, today, you and I can be set free from this. It's going to take a bit of work, but we can be set free. Just a couple more stories. 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha is there, verse 15. Elisha is there with his servant. And it says, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? They were being attacked by a large army. Just two of them, Elisha and his servant, and a large army coming against them. Have you ever felt like that? It's just me and maybe a few of my Christian buddies. And look at all these problems against me. Health problems, financial problems, the world, oh, people are horrible, oh, alas, alas. Verse 16, so he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What? You see, the world, the non-Christian world, look at that verse and they say, you stupid Christians. Of course those are with them are not more than those are with the others. Of course not. But that's because they think there's only five senses. If you understand there's a whole nother realm, then it's correct. Listen to the next verse. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he might see. Which eyes were those now? His heart eyes. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Friends, if you could see the spiritual realm, 
You know, we come to church and we get a glimpse. We hear the Word of God. We sing songs. We see other people who love the Lord and have faith. And our heart eyes are opened a bit. And we start to see. But then we leave. And we favor these eyes and these five senses. And we put a patch over our heart. And it gets dull again. And we might look at those disciples and we might say, Oh, how could they have a hard heart? They'd just seen Jesus feed thousands of people. They'd just seen Jesus walking on the water. They'd just seen him calm the storm and Peter walking on the water. How could they have a hard heart? What about us? How much has God done in your life and mine? And yet the very next day my heart is hard again. And I'm not listening to God anymore. I repent when I read this because I know I'm as bad, I'm worse than them. My heart, I put a patch on it every single day. And I read the newspaper or I talk to someone and I favor these senses instead of my heart and it just gets hard again. And a hard heart is a terrible thing because if my heart is not soft and I'm not seeing with faith, I've lost everything. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. You know, there's people who go to church and they know the Bible, and they serve faithfully, and they attend, and they're religious, and they give, and they help, and they, they even give words of sermons and prophecy and all that kind of stuff, but it's all coming out of their six senses, their eyes, ears, and all that kind of stuff, and their mind, and not out of their faith sense, and they are lost. Isn't that amazing? Many will come and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and do all these things in your name? He says, I never knew you. What's going on there? They're not using their seventh sense. They're not being dominated by faith. They're being dominated by head and and physical senses. And it's so easy to do. And you can look like a great Christian, but your heart can still be hard. Is your heart soft to the Lord? Are you listening to his voice? Are you being moved by the spiritual realm, and by the truth of God's word instead of by your five senses. I want to just, I'm going to tell you the story of this wonderful day in Jesus' life, but before I do that, I want to just give you (coughs) three causes of hard heart from the Bible. You ready? I'm going to go quickly. Daniel chapter 5, verse 20. It's talking about the king of, uh, I believe it's Babylon, and it says, When his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, He was deposed from his kingly kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Let me read it again. When his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride. Pride is one of the ways that we can put a patch on our hearts, and we can have a hard heart. When I think I'm something special, look how great I am. I can prophesy. I'm a great Christian. I've got something wonderful to offer the Lord. The Lord is so lucky to have me on his team. When I think I'm something special, my heart gets hard. And I must humble myself. I must say, Lord, I'm not great. I'm not the great I am, but I am what I am by the grace of God. That's that's what I must do. (laughs) Lord, I put myself in my correct position. You are great. I'm just a man. And I worship you. And I put myself where I should be. I'm not better than other people. We're all just beggars sitting on the street. Some of us have two pennies. Some of us have one. But compared to you, Lord, we're nothing. That's how I get rid of a hard heart. That's the first thing. Second thing, Proverbs 28 verse 14, happy is the man who is always reverent. Can you say with me, reverent? Reverent. 
Happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall, fall into calamity. The opposite of, of hard heart is reverent. What does reverent mean? It means I honor and I glorify God. I fear God. This word reverent is sometimes translated fear. I fear God. I say, God, you are awesome. I revere you. You're, you're amazing. You're powerful. Are you reverent? Or have you become familiar with God? That's a sign that your heart has got a patch on it. Another verse in this same vein is Romans 1, verse 21. It says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It says they didn't glorify God or thank Him. If I don't glorify God and thank Him, if I'm not reverent, my heart gets hard. Wow. Are you challenged by that? I am. If I'm not thankful, if I don't glorify Him, if I'm not reverent, my heart gets hard. Whew. And the last one, Hebrews 3 verse 15. It says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. The third way that I harden my heart is when I hear His voice and I choose to ignore it or I choose not to listen to it or follow it. Then I've hardened my heart. I put a patch over my heart. Have you ever heard his voice? He's prompted you. you. You can tell it's his voice because you know what you need to do and you have an excitement and a faith that, yes, I can do it. That's his voice. When he says, yes, you can do this. And you say, yeah, I can. I trust you, Lord. I, I believe you. Yes, faith is born. It's burst into life in my heart. And then for some reason, I start looking at something else with these physical senses or with my logical brain. I've stopped it. Can you see that? Those are the three ways. Pride, not being reverent, and not listening to his voice. So let's look at these days. <clears throat> the day starts, the disciples get up early, Jesus hears that John the Baptist has been killed. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, and he's his closest ministry partner, and he's been beheaded. And it says that Jesus was sad about it, and he said, let's go to a quiet, solitary place to pray. Jesus wanted to just get strength from the Father, from the Holy Spirit, to help him get through the normal human grief that he was going through. That's how the day starts. And the disciples are sad. It's a, it's a sad day. Oh, boy. They should have learnt at the start there that I don't look at my physical feelings, my emotions, the world around me. I, I press into the Spirit to get comfort from the grief, from the struggles of the world around me. That's how their heart should have been soft. They should have been seeing with their seventh sense, I find solutions to my earthly grief in the Spirit. That's what they should have done, but they didn't. Then they get there. There's thousands of people, 5,000 men, probably another five or 10,000 children and women. Could have been 15,000 people there. They're hungry. Jesus has fed, uh, prayed for them, healed them, taught them all sorts of things, and they're hungry. And Jesus says to the disciples, you find food for this crowd. Wow. They look at their normal natural resources, their five senses, and their logical brain says, we can't do this. The disciples said, where would we get 200 denarii to, to buy all this food? It was a fortune. We haven't got enough money. The bank account's low. I'm struggling with resources. My feelings are telling me I'm inadequate. 
They should have pressed into the seventh sense. Shouldn't they? They didn't. But a little boy did. A little boy came up. He says, hi, I've, I've got my lunch. And he gave them his five loaves and his two fish. What kind of a silly little boy is that? Logic tells you, what, what good is that for this massive crowd? You see, that's using your seventh sense. Faith. Pressing in, saying all things are possible with God. They give it to Jesus. Jesus prays. He blesses it. If you put it in the hands of Jesus, anything is possible. Jesus breaks it. First of all, he, he makes the people sit down on this big grassy area in, in groups of 150. Organizes it. He, he uses his natural senses and his logic. He makes a plan to organize and set it in place. But then he starts to break the bread and give it to the disciples and break the fish and give it. And as they go and give it to these groups, it starts to multiply and multiply. So much so that everyone ate. The Bible says everyone was filled Boy, that was a good meal. And there was plenty left over, more than enough. What should their hearts have been saying? Wow. With God, anything is possible. Amen? Friend, has God done miracles for you in the past? And you've forgotten them. Has God done something? Has God healed you? or healed a family member, or provided finance, or done something for you, and you've thought in your logical brain, or with your five senses, that was then, but I don't think it'll happen again. The disciples should have said, if it happens once, it can happen again every time. That's what the seventh sense says. <coughs> then Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray. Remember, he's still mourning the cousin John that has been beheaded. And he's praying and the disciples get in the boat and they start rowing. And they're going to the other side. It's only nine miles across. But nine hours later at four in the morning, they're still only in the middle of the lake. They're having a hard time. And Jesus comes walking on the water and he's planning to just go straight past them, the Bible says. And they fear. Immediately they start to not trust their faith. They start to, to think about their five senses. I, I have some sympathy for them. If you've been rowing all night and it's four in the morning, I think I, I, think I, would, have some, I, I, think I would have some problems as well. But they, they look at Jesus. He expects them to have the faith to just keep going and trust him. But when they're fearful, he's kind to them. He says, don't worry. Take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. And I want to say that I believe that Peter is different to the other 11 here. The other 11 are marveling out of their minds. They can't comprehend this. They're completely blown away. They haven't learned how to trust their inner faith, heart, eyes. But Peter does something amazing. Why did Peter think that he should walk on the water? Why? I mean, was it for some greater purpose? Was it for a great ministry goal? Was it going to achieve something in God's kingdom? No. He just thought... You know what? If Jesus can feed all those people with a little bit of bread, and if Jesus can walk on water, wow, I wonder if I can. There's something in this for us, friends. You know, unfortunately, the Christian world has told us to be very conservative in our faith. They say, when you see a promise in the Bible, don't assume it's for you. It might not be for you. Check out the culture and the, and the 
context and the this and the Greek this and the that and the that. And make sure, and only if five theologians say it's for you and you get a prophetic word and you're sure it's for you, then it's for you. Peter wasn't like that. He said, hey man, I'm going to try whatever. The Syrophoenician lady comes up to Jesus. She's not a Jew. She says, my daughter is demon possessed. Please will you heal my daughter? Jesus ignores her. Then she keeps pressing and Jesus says, I was sent only to the Jews, not to you. She keeps pressing. He says, it's not good to give the children's bread to dogs. She keeps pressing and he heals her daughter. You know, the modern Christian world, we would say, oh, he said no, he ignored, it's for the promises for someone else, it's not, 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 that's not for us. She had the faith to say, anything is possible. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 24, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. The faith that says more than enough, rather than just enough. It over, overwhelmed her five senses. It overwhelmed her logic. She said, all things are possible with Jesus. That's the kind of faith we should have. People keep dampening down Christians and saying, don't believe for too much. Don't go for more. Don't try another thing. Jesus says, Peter, you've asked for it. Come. Isn't that amazing? Friends, it's time for us. It's time for us to start letting this heart eye dominate our lives. It's just too much logic and too much senses in the world for us Christians. We need to start saying all things are possible. Isn't that right? Yes. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks. Can you imagine? The thing that strikes me is that even though Jesus had said come and even though he had faith, Peter still had to exercise his physical body and muscles. He still had to climb out of the boat and jump onto the water and make his legs walk. And he's walking along. He's looking at Jesus. He's excited. And then the Bible says he started to look at the wind and the waves. <laughs> I have, I have a, a, a huge soft spot in my heart for Peter. You know, we criticize him for sinking. But he tried. He got out of the boat and he tried. And at some stage, he looked and he let his other senses and his logic, you can almost see him remembering his junior school teacher saying, we can't walk on water or whatever. He just, his logic starts dominating his faith, and he goes, oh, and he starts to sing. Jesus catches him. The fact that Jesus caught him means Peter was very close to him. He'd already walked quite a long way. And Jesus catches him before he sings. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I believe he was smiling at the time. Peter. And then he gets into the boat, and they get back to land. Friends, there's some serious implications for you and I of this. And we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're just going to play some music and we're just going to let this word sink into our hearts. But what, what I'm going to ask you to do today is to say, Lord, what do I need to do to take the patch off my heart eyes and to start looking in the Spirit and to start trusting in you more than I trust in my five senses and my logic? Amen? Amen. Pride. I need to get rid of pride. Reverence and awe. I need, you know, when I come in worship and I want to dance and praise the Lord, but then I think, ooh, what are people around me? Oh, I'm so silly. That's pride and that's no reverence at all. I've got to let it go. I've got to worship Him with everything because then I'm worshiping in spirit and in truth, not out of my head. 
I just got to worship the Lord with everything. I got to see the spiritual realm more than I see the physical realm. And then everything changes. Nothing's impossible anymore. I've got to remember the loaves, the fishes, the healings, the miracles, the, the ways God has helped me in the past. Then nothing will be impossible for me now. I've got to retrain my mind. I've got to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for not trusting in what you've said to my heart. I'm sorry for that, Lord. And then I've got to start reading his word and saying, I'm going to trust this more than I trust anything else. And then nothing will stop us. Amen. Amen.